2: damn idle, and i don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title but i
0: Welcome back, prom party, and happy holidays! Oh, well, BJ,
1: uh, speaking of festivities, is someone building some sort of holiday deck over in your part of the house? (laughs)
0: Look, I have no idea what they're actually doing, but if you hear the sound of, I don't know, someone recreationally throwing hammers in the background... Y'all know that we record in their house. There's nothing that I can do about it. Someone's building some shit. I I can't yell at them. Sorry. Maybe
1: it will be a Christmas miracle and it won't actually get picked up in the final product.
0: (laughs) See, the real Christmas miracle is that you are an audio angel. So if no one can hear it, it's because you worked your magic. That's
1: probably just going to come down to dumb luck, but thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of some Christmas magic, we are talking about a pretty wonderful film today. The 2017 zombie comedy musical extravaganza, Anna and the Apocalypse.
1: And we have a guest whose perspective on this movie I'm dying to hear because there is no one who likes this movie more than him.
0: I'm really excited. You may know him from his work over at Certified Forgotten. He has bylines all over the internet. If there is a horror publication, chances are you've read his work somewhere. Writer, podcaster, friend of yours and ours, Mr. Matt Donato. Hi, Matt.
3: Hello, both hosts. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for also being on my podcast. This is very fun to do it in reverse. <laughs> right? I've been on your podcast twice. That's right. Harmony, you got two. BJ, you got one. You are always welcome back to... Uh, oh, no. I even... got two. Oh, that's right. No, yeah, we did two, two. Yeah, I was going to say, we've actually done two with both of you. So you are, I think you're like only second to Lee at this point.
2: Ooh. All right. This All is right, Monson, my first I'm time... coming for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't even my first time talking about
3: zombies with you. Oh, my God. That's right. Wild Zero. Wild Wild And this zero. is not my
0: first time talking about a musical with you. <laughs>
3: We, like, our <laughs> so brand we is just incredibly that. strong on this episode.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, we have been wanting to talk about Anne and the Apocalypse for a while, and we knew that we had to have you on, because for those who have never seen Matt in person, or if this is your first time meeting Mr. Donato, uh, Matt Donato has an Anne in the Apocalypse motherfucking tattoo. Yeah,
3: I went uh, hardcore with my Anna love and did a little creative interpretation of the candy cane stabby tool.
0: I love a stabby cane Um, So before we dive into the movie I would love for everybody to kind of give their history on it Harmony, I'll start with yours since I think I know what it is What was your introduction to this movie?
1: Uh, For Shudder's The Bite I had to come up with Christmas horror cocktails a few years ago and you were like, you should do Anne and the Apocalypse. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And so I watched it. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's, it's very concise. And I sort of did it for work. <laughs> two, two, two fold of work as bartending and horror
0: writing. That's great. I didn't realize that that was your first, but this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. My first introduction was after it premiered at Fantastic Fest. I was not at Fantastic Fest because I was still on and off with cancer treatment, but my phone exploded after this movie had a premiere of everybody at Fantastic Fest going, Oh my God, BJ, I just saw a movie. It is so your shit. You're going to lose your mind. And uh, everyone was correct, because this movie is very much my shit. Um, so Matt, how about you? What was your intro to Anne and the Apocalypse? So
3: I was actually at the Fantastic Fest where it premiered.
0: I assumed. Yeah, I was there, uh, boots <laughs> on
3: the ground, and I was one of the first people to see it, obviously. And it just absolutely like blew me away. And it was just one of those experiences that I don't think is ever going to be replicated for me uh, anytime I watch it again. It was just a perfect viewing uh, environment, because you're at Fantastic Fest, you're with a bunch of genre fiends. But it's also it was one of those years where there was a lot of slow burn. There was a lot of like longer films that did the A24-ish route. Um, and it it just, it felt out of place in the best way. So it was just like this uh-huh. adrenaline uh, injection in the middle of, you know, these other maybe more lingering films that were on the schedule. And it, it just, it was perfect. It was everything I needed. I love Christmas horror. Again, I have the tattoo. Like I've seen 150 Christmas horror movies and, and of the Apocalypse is one of one of the best, and again, that's not hard because that field is so littered with landmines. But yeah, uh-huh. it's just it, it's just perfect, and no one really takes me as the musical guy either. It's like, and I horror musicals are one of my favorite subgenres, even though like you know, again, we're talking about Wild Zero and other stuff on the podcast uh, with with you all. But no, nah, horror musicals is where it's at for me, and I think And of the Apocalypse just resonates because it's so emotional. So it just it just stuck after that first uh, viewing.
0: I love that. I think that's so sweet. And I love when people have these connections with movies that you wouldn't think about. We talk about that a lot on the podcast because teen movies like horror musicals or just musicals in general or Christmas movies or horror Christmas movies, um, they get maligned even within their own subgroups. Like Uh There are plenty of people who love coming-of-age stories that hate teen girl movies because they think that they're all fluff, but you can't control what movies resonate with you. Like, sometimes you just, you see something and it's exactly what you needed, and it sticks with you forever because every time you watch it, a little bit of that exists with that experience. So I, I love hearing that story. Um, for anybody who has not seen Anne in the Apocalypse, Matt, what is this movie about?
3: This movie is about... Uh... Okay, so the easiest way to describe it by using other titles that people know is, like, it's kind of high school musical and Mean Girls, except slapped in with, like, Shaun of the Dead. That's the best way I can sum it up in that kind of loglineish ish way. But, yeah, the quicker way of just describing the story is Anna is a, you know, schoolgirl, and we're getting to know her classmates, and it's very set up to be a teen uh, romance comedy. All the stuff is there. All the, the foundations are what you've seen before. But then zombies invade. And then they start singing, and you just get the entirety of Anna's friends trying to go through these coming-of-age motions and, like, learn about themselves. But also as, like, their classmates are dying around them, their parents are dying, and everyone's dying.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And uh, (laughs) As you do. What's really interesting is that specific story has become really, really popular in recent years. Um, I got really obsessed with that uh, K-horror show on Netflix – Um, is it like All Your Friends Are Dead, I think is what it's called. Yep, yep, yep. And that's very much the appeal to that show of like, you have these characters that are coming of age, that are dealing with all of like the trials and tribulations of high school and how high school can be really difficult and complicated. And that sort of weird zone between you're not a kid, but you're not an adult, but you have freedom, but at the same time you don't, is like a really hard place to be in. And then to be thrown into – like an unimaginable survival situation it just skyrockets those stakes and now everything becomes way more complicated but Annie Apocalypse also like is is not afraid to have fun with it like there's so much goofy imagery that kind of offers levity to what is ultimately like a pretty serious movie (laughs)
3: Yeah, it's, like, deathly serious. It's just, I'm going to keep using death over and over again because that's what Anne of the Apocalypse, like, doesn't hide from you. And if you're, you know, you're watching one of these teen rom-coms usually and the stakes, as mentioned, are much lighter. You know, it, it, we're there to laugh. We're mm-hmm. to have, there to have fun. And we are there to learn a few things. But at the same time, like, Anne of the Apocalypse understands that, like, life is cruel. Like, there's there's no, no hiding that. Like, it understands that with the lyrics. It understands that with the imagery. And as these kids are, you know, learning lessons, they... They learn them too late, in a way, because they don't actually get to see what comes next. Like, most of the cast... Like, we don't do spoilers. Do we do spoilers here? Like, I won't say anything that oh, bad. Oh, we do spoilers. Oh, yeah, we yeah. do yeah. You can spoilers. say whatever you okay, want. Okay, so perfect. So, yeah, like, everyone learns their lesson just before they're about to die. And it makes it so much more impactful, because you get that moment of, like, oh my god, like, I have more time. I've learned these lessons, and I can go now on with my life and do something with them. But, like, these characters don't. And the, the emotional beats hit so hard. But... The fun of it is still there the entire time. The songs are catchy, up tempo. Like they are, they're bangers. They're bops. Like it's just such a, it's such a perfect hybrid, and you don't get that often.
0: Agreed completely. And let's lay a little bit of kind of the the cultural context around like what was happening in this time period, because like you said. This movie came out during a year of horror that was like, we were really starting to do kind of the trauma horror boom that we've Mm -hmm. been in for the last couple of years. Like, it's starting to kick up right around the time this movie came out. And what's also funny is, I know that this was sold a lot as like, Shauna of the dead meets la la land which la la land like was the big musical at the time and this like shares zero musical dna with <laughs> with la la land i think mm-hmm. people were just like that's a musical people know the name of that's out right now so we're gonna use that in the marketing thanks
3: alex um, <laughs> i remember that quote I, I i saw that quote plastered everywhere because it was on a poster with my <laughs> quote as well which was bigger on the top so fuck you
0: but harmony what sort of context can you bring to the table
1: so this is one of those weird movies to judge because it's hard to compare it to anything out at the time because not only are we international because this was obviously made in the uk if you listen to anybody in this movie talk then you know that but it's also a Christmas movie, which means judging it against other films kind of puts it in its own category, like, genre-wise. Um, it's not really a very prominent time for teen cinema, specifically for teen girl cinema, because Hunger Games had wrapped up, like, two years earlier, and we are on, like, the very, very sharp downswing of, like, the young adult franchise blockbuster um, that had sort of been kicked off by Harry Potter. And we're sort of in this this limbo of ter- of teen cinema, like the year before the last Divergent movie comes out and it way underperforms. So looking at it in like the spectrum of, of of teen cinema, it's like these very niche indie releases. Looking at it in the grander scheme of horror, it kind of puts it out where like it's there. We are leaning heavily now. Um, this is like the last gasp of fun before we go fully into like trauma horror for like the next five years because these were the films that were put into production prior to like 2016 when Trump got elected. But again, this is not an American film, so that's not judged on the same metric as everything else. But like there were really fun movies that came out this year. The only other two movies that we've covered on this podcast from this year are comedy horror films in The Babysitter and Tragedy Girls.
0: (laughs) Which is such a weird thing when we had that realization of the only movies we've ever covered on this podcast from 2017 – are comedy horror movies, and this is another comedy horror movie, but has obviously very serious elements. But I feel like Anime and the Apocalypse* does feel right at home with something like *The Babysitter* or like *Tragedy Girls*. Um, oh, absolutely! There's, like, because the humor is also very sardonic in all three of these, um, which I I quite enjoy.
1: Yeah, and like some of the bigger releases that you have, like you have sort of, you have blockbuster horror films that are doing extremely well that come out this year, and they're they're very fun. Like this is sort of. One of the, the one of the last times for a couple of years where you have really fun horror movies doing really well. Because you have It, which comes out and obviously is massively successful. You have Happy Death Day that comes out. And, you know, this is a bit more serious but still extremely fun. You have Get Out, which is seen as, like, the landmark film that is going to have everyone chasing it for up until now, honestly. I
0: mean, they still are. Everyone's still chasing that high. Especially
1: because... An interesting fact about 2017 is that the top ten highest grossing films of the year are all either, like, they're pretty much all Disney movies, almost exclusively, uh, aside from, like, Minions and Fast and Furious, but they're all either sequels or remakes or big franchise stuff, but the top three highest grossing films of the year are Star Wars, Last Jedi, um, Beauty and the Beast, and Wonder Woman, and that means that this is the first and only second year, I believe in american cinematic history where the three highest grossing films of the year are female-led the only other time it's happened is in 1958
0: and again like i also feel like i have to clarify because people might be confused when you said like they're all disney films like disney owns everything so that includes marvel that includes star wars like yeah
1: there's there's a couple offshoots like Fast and Furious, I think, one of those did very well. Yeah, and like Wonder Woman's Minions also did, DC. And Wonder Woman did yeah. well. But aside from those, the other seven are all Disney properties.
0: Yeah, which is wild as hell. Um, and again, a sign of exactly where we are now, where everything is so heavily IP driven, which is why something like Anime Apocalypse would be so refreshing because it is wholly unique unto itself. Um, like there are zombie movies that are comedies. There are musicals that are horror movies. There are Christmas horror movies. Like, but this is all of those things. And at the same time, it then feels like none of those things, which is Mm -hmm. really, really interesting to me. And as far as production on this movie is concerned, it was in development for a very, very long time. Um, It was taking inspiration from things like High School Musical, uh, Ryan McHenry, who unfortunately passed away before uh, this movie could come out um had made a short film called zombie musical um and like this is kind of where the basis of Anna the Apocalypse came from um something that's also really weird that I wanted to throw out is that the music on this is made by Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley. uh Roddy Hart you're a big fan (laughs) of aren't you yes so Roddy Hart uh makes the music now for the Animaniacs reboot on Hulu so like it's all great uh but Tommy Riley is like this random dude that I became super into uh, after he was on the Channel 4 TV show Orange Unsigned Act. Um, He like wrote this song called Give Me a Call that I was like fixated on. I found it on like a YouTube video and I was like, oh, I fucking love this guy. So after everybody was telling me like, oh my God, you're going to love the Apocalypse. It's so great. And I saw that Tommy Riley was on the music. I was like, I'm fucking in. This is exactly what I want. I can just tell Uh, by listening
1: to the music from this that it's like, oh no, this is very clearly written by like a UK (laughs) singer-songwriter. Like I I can hear it (laughs) in the
0: music for this movie. Yes. And before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to The Morning Announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom over at our patreon we offer things like our schedule ahead of time wonderful playlists curated by harmony our sadie hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies and we are currently going through our tv homecoming series through pen 15 we offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only one dollar if now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media hashtag This Ends at Prom or at This Ends at Prom. Alrighty, so let's dive in and let's talk about our leading lady first. Let's talk about Anna. Matt, how do you? like this character what does this character mean to you
3: so I really like this character because Anna's allowed to be messy um in a way that I think is not allowed in some you know teen rom-coms and stuff of that nature and Mm -hmm. the way that the journey kind of carries out like you have expectancies of like does she fall in love does she do these things that you know hit these milestones in teen rom-coms that we already know and the moments that she encounters and, like, all the emotional epiphanies she has, they're, like, very much about her. And, like, she's allowed to be her own person throughout this movie. Like, it's not about who she ends up with at the end. It's not about, does she get with John? Does she not? Like, and and their moment of just having that friendship talk is so effing, like, beautiful and moving. And you don't really see that kind of stuff. Like, it it gets away of convention in team rom-coms. And I think, uh, like, Anna's journey, like, aside from her being a badass killing zombies, like, Choreography is so good throughout both action and uh, songs. Like so, you have Ella Hunt just absolutely like going crazy with the choreography and like killing it no matter what she's doing. But I the emotional journey for me is just way more important. And again, maybe that's not something that I'm used to liking because I like my horror comedies where they're like gory and goopy and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just uh-huh. felt a really like deep connection when you know you're learning about her through songs like Breakaway. And everything that like she's co- is coming out of her. And I don't know, I'm just like a huge sucker for learning plot developments and learning about yourself through lyrics. I don't know why, but I found out like that is one of my like big movie like draws..
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Harmony, how about you? How do you feel about Anna?
3: For, well, I, my feelings on Anna is I like that
1: she's like a fighter and that she can take on stuff. But as far as like my feelings on Anna and kind of this whole cast is, is there's this feeling that I had a hard time putting my finger on. And the best way I can describe it for the characters in this movie as a whole is this movie feels like a comedy musical episode of a show that I don't watch. And so, particularly with how these characters grow and you see more of them and they're developed, there is, uh, most of it ends up showing up towards like the back half of the movie. Before that, it almost feels like the movie's operating as though you already know who these characters are. And I don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, it does play with, like, teen tropes in that way, where it's like, okay, who do you think this character is? Because we're going to keep it very, very vague for, like, 40 minutes. And I think that that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I like that it does sort of subvert the teen expectations, because, like, the second we meet Anna, it's like, okay, cool, she's our lead got it. I understand who she is. Uh, you meet John and it's like, cool, got it. They are friends, but this is a possible love interest. This is a thousand movies I've seen before. Got it. Oh, she's got a, a weird relationship with her dad. That is every John Hughes movie that has ever been made. Got it. Cool. Know where we're operating. We, we get mm-hmm. to the school and it's like we've got the friends that are in the, they are the, the young couple that are a little way too into each other. Sweet. Love it. I know where we're going. We've got the friend with the cool edgy haircut who is pushing back against school administration. I know this person. Love it. Mm-hmm. keep moving oh we've got a school administrator mr savage who's a real piece of shit perfect i know exactly who this person is and it, like it tricks you into thinking like you know everything about these people and it feels so familiar so that when it does take these you know changes when they go in different directions where like yes there are zombies yes there are, there are songs you're gonna learn more about people um it then just sort of dismantles like all of those expectations you have which i think is really interesting and was pretty this was a pretty risky move but i think it pays off uh because I love Anna as a a protagonist for the same reasons you do, Matt, because I love that she's messy. Um, I love that she doesn't make all of the right decisions um, because then she doesn't fall into the quote unquote like Mary Sue trope. I have mixed feelings about that trope name. We already know this, but um, she doesn't end up falling under those traps because she is not perfect. Like there's a lot of shit she fucks up.
3: Yeah, and, like, again, just being allowed to and, like, seeing that. Like, it, Hollywood mm-hmm. perfects everything, you know? Every time we see a Hollywood romance and anything of that, it has to be that certain kind of, like, pristine, squeaky-clean perfection. And ending the apocalypse gets away from all that. And, like, characters like Anna and also, you know, I really call that, like, Ben Wiggins uh, as Nick and the way that his stereotype in every other teen movie would to be, you know, the hot bully. The the hot guy that, like, the girl shouldn't get with, but maybe she does yeah. anyway. And his journey, like you know, not to steal away from Anna at all, but like Nick's journey, sees the trope, it sees the stereotype, and it just pushes ten steps past it to say, like, well, what if we get past that trope? Like, I I know there are stereotypes for a reason, but like, people are also complicated, and like getting to that is is the more juicy detail. That's the better part of the story, and you know, wh- whoever you're looking at, I think like every character here really does get that expansion in like the best way.
2: What a time to be I a rod one, it's song to be a rock one, a song to be Day.
0: I love John's journey a lot because I have such a soft spot in my heart for kind of like because he's not dopey like that's not a correct way to describe him, but that that's the role he's trying to fill in this of like you know he he's your he's your ducky type like that's who the like modern interpretation, but like that's who he's sort of being, but he's so endearing and he's so sweet and you just want him to like just get it together like the whole movie you're just like just fucking say something say how you feel and mm-hmm. you root for him like the whole way and I love his arc and it's why I'm so sad when he gets eaten by something oh uh-huh. just, just obliterated in front of her Um, and it's terrible like it's awful because I think that's the other thing This movie does that a lot of movies don't. Like, if there is anything that this movie does have in common with Shaun of the Dead outside of the obvious like UK zombie connection, Mm -hmm. it's the fact that it puts so much value in how terrible this is for these characters. Like, it's not like an action movie or even some slashers where it's like, oh no, I just saw my best friend get their head chopped off. I'm gonna scream, but it's cool because in two seconds I'm in survival mode and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It, it like ruins them like they uh, like they can't all logic goes out the window when they see somebody that they love this much die. Oh, and yeah. I appreciate that so much.
1: Yeah, when um, I, I think that the vast majority of the best zombie movies, just using that as a genre over the last like, you know, 30 years, certainly the, since the millennium started, they've all been international releases because American ones have just devolved into like gun porn versus anyone else where it'd be, like, Train to Bassan, or Wreck, or this, or Shaun of the Dead, even, like, they are more about, like, a very human aspect of this, rather than just, like, brutality, or just the the, the guts of, like, ah, his head exploded, look, isn't Army of the Dead great? Like, it's so much more, uh, this is so much more interesting in that, and being that this movie has, like, you know clearly a smaller budget because it's an indie release that it benefits them a lot better to focus on the storytelling
3: and the character development for that yeah and like saying it's small budget like is totally correct but at the same time like it doesn't even it doesn't look like it like the production value is so good on this and the way they set up you know very theatrical sequences to say again we're, we're getting music mm-hmm. we're getting lyrics we're getting choreography but the production design is like killer on this it doesn't look like it at all and you know if I if I can confess like with the whole John character like I was the John all through high school. Like that, that I was John. Yeah. That was me. I was always the best <laughs> friend. I never
0: Did you also have a really cute Christmas sweater?
3: Um no, but I wish Amateur I did. Hour yeah, Matthew. I know. It, I wasn't into like Christmas horror even like, you know, who I am now at that point. I was a little I was a little preppy kid. I'm not going to lie. Like I was straight up Abercrombie and I was a prep. Did you
0: have pop collars?
3: I never popped a collar. Actually, okay. I did once in my life, but it's that's a story for another day. <laughs>
2: um, that would take way
3: too long to get into. Uh but no, like I like having that connection to a character though, like John, like and just looking back and being like, yeah, holy shit, like I get everything this kid is going through. But at the same time, like like there's no anger there. Like like I I just like the way they explore that arc and like they do with all of them, but like it doesn't turn into a fight. It doesn't turn into like, yeah, like there's disappointment, sadness. I remember all those feelings when like you know, I got to be the one talking to the girl about the shitty guy that she's dating, and I'm like, yeah, I wonder how you could change that. <laughs> but, but, like, again, <laughs> like, it is just part of life, and it's just, like, part of these things that we deal with, and, like, again, I went on to have great relationships with those people and have great friendships, and I still do. But I, I don't know, just to see those things, like, reflected on screen correctly, and not to say there's a right or wrong way, but... Again, not the Hollywood way, you know, there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending, like all that stuff, like just being upfront mm-hmm. about that and getting back to that messiness. I think it's just so I don't know. It's just so like beautiful and kind of enlightening in Anna the apocalypse.
1: Oh, yeah. If John was more of like a, a like a bitter or like angry teen boy, like you see all the time, then he would be complaining about
3: how he's stuck in the friend zone or something. But he's not. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what you're that's the stereotype you're used to. And that's what Anna says. No. You're not getting that because, like, you guys have met me. I was the same way in high school. Like, I didn't get bitter about it. I was like, "No nah, shucks, all right, cool, whatever. Let's still be friends." Like, <laughs> shucks, shucks, all right. Maybe I didn't say shucks. Maybe that was my my little pristine, Aww, clean man. version. I don't know. My
1: mom. You were just particularly dorking yourself up. Just be like I was even more of a dork then. I don't say shucks
3: now though. I was a big old dork. I ain't gonna hide it. I was I, I, I was a preppy dork.
0: <laughs> no, and I think that like that's an important thing, you know, is being able to own up to who you were. As a teenager, like, part of me wants to think in my brain that I was Anna. I wasn't. I was Steph. Like, I know who I am. I'm Steph in this movie. And, um, you know, with cool haircut and everything, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's something really powerful in being able to recognize who you are. And I think you being able to see a character like John who is not a stereotype, who is not whining about being in the friend zone, who is just kind of like, well, this is just what it is. And like, this is a messy part of my existence, but I'm going to get through it. I think like seeing that as an adult is so important to being able to kind of heal that inner teenager that still exists inside all of us. Um, So I'm very happy that this character exists for you. And I'm sure that you're not alone in relating to him. Yeah, it's
3: about time a straight white guy got to see himself on screen. (laughs) overdue overdue if you ask me
0: (laughs) long overdue but like here's like the fucked up thing though is that like there's a point to be made there in the sense that like we, especially in teen movies we don't have a lot of like genuine like three dimensional teen characters for people to see themselves in and that does include boys um, because people just assume these movies are fluff so they don't think about the characters that are going into it so like even though yes there have been more fucking head white men in film than any other character it took a movie to 20, 2017 for, to, to like really hit that sweet spot and I think that that just is a testament to how bad people are writing teen movies well, um it's
1: especially if it's a, like uh like a girl-led teen movie then she's the priority and you know we see it a lot on this show where it's like there's emphasis on you know your your heroine um we just did a cinderella story recently we talked about how and they Chad did not Michael really
0: Murray ain't shit in that movie they didn't write
1: the men at all for that because they were like i don't know they just kind of have to be there like we, we're not going to spend that much time on them because they're deprioritized and they aren't given the same amount of care And especially, you know, through most of the 2000s in particular, like, it finally started to change come, like, 2010s. But, like, there was a very specific, like, super bad brand of boy that you saw in, like, teen boy movies. So it's like, well, where are you supposed
3: to have this kind of guy exist in, like, the teen sphere, you know? Yeah, and I think it's that's important, you know, to say that, like, it's important as an adult to look back and, you know, I can connect with John and say, oh, you know, like, that's who I was. But also it's important for people watching of the age as well because... You know, if I think back to when I was growing up and like you know in very formative times of my life and watching movies and watching how you know Hollywood depicted teens, boys, girls, all of that, like the way that Hollywood depicted it, you know, I was I grew up during like the teen sex comedy era. Like I was growing mm-hmm. up, and a, a lot of people, of course, well, not a lot, every everyone our age was like growing up with that, and those are the movies yeah. that were shaping us. And I think we have seen that like depiction absolutely fucking matters and like the way things are depicted like really can a movie is a movie yes and like you do have to you know realize that and you do have to make your own choices obviously and do the, the right thing but like i don't know when some kids are shown the same thing over and over again by hollywood and saying like this is the cool way this is what's cool and like i don't know if that was teen sex comedies that weren't always like super great <laughs> at depicting certain things Again, you have to have that counterbalance. Like, you need a movie like the Apocalypse to show somebody to say, like, okay, cool, here's American Pie, Eurotrip, all these other movies that we can look at and are funny and yes, Mm -hmm. and laugh at, but look at now again in a different way. There needs to be that and a counterbalance to show you, like, yeah, there are other ways. (laughs) Like,
0: no, I I agree completely. And I I think about. This movie being so much stronger because those characters are so well thought out and well fleshed out, because their relationships mean so much more to me now. Because like Harmony I'm really glad that you brought up a Cinderella story, which we, you know, just did like a couple weeks ago, because that movie is so centered around Hillary Duff as it should be, that everybody else sort of feels like an afterthought. So Uh because of that, I don't invest in the relationships that she has with other people. Like, her stepmom doesn't seem as mean to me as she could be because they didn't let Jennifer Coolidge go, like, whole hog crazy. Uh, Her crush on Chad Michael Murray doesn't read as something I'm actually very invested in because I don't really know that much about him, so I don't really care. Whereas in Anne an Apocalypse, I know these characters so intimately and I know how they not just how they feel, but also how they feel about each other and how they feel in reference to each other and how their relationships exist that I am so invested in them. Like I like I love Lisa like as a character so very much and I love her little song and I think she's so clever, but I love that she is the representation of that person in high school who is so in love and ready to like, play adult with their partner. Because um, I think we all knew that person growing up. And I have like a weird soft spot for that character because it's like, oh, I can't wait for you to turn 25 and see the world. But right now, like your passion is real. And there's something like exciting and endearing about this. And I am going to be so sad when it all comes crumbling down for you because you've never fallen this hard before. And you're about to, and it's going to fucking suck.
3: Yeah, and it's funny for me because I'm home right now on a Christmas break, let's call it. You know, I came home to visit the family, and I'm seeing my friends who did that, though. Like, you know, you're talking about the people who fell head over heels in love in, like, high school or, you know, maybe even mm-hmm. college will use that connector there because a lot of my friends actually met their future wives in high sc- uh, college, like – They didn't really date anyone in high school, met the first person that they fell in love with in college, and, like, now they're married, and, like, I'm meeting their children, and it's so weird to, like, watch Anna and be like, oh, yeah, like, I remember my friends who were that, and, like, it actually did turn out to be exactly what they thought, and I'm like, like, one of those, like, mind-blown things where, like, you know, I'm 33 and single still, like, this is is the life I've chosen, I've chosen my profession, that is kind of, like, what's taking over my life right now, and, you know, that will sort itself out down the road, but... I don't know, like to, you know, to see to see Lisa and Chris and just be like, yeah, I remember those, and I can't believe it actually like did work out for them. Like the the is crazy. Well,
2: especially
1: yeah. when you're young and you're growing up as like a teen or even to your early twenties, like it's about big feelings, right? Like it's so easy to fall head over heels over like your newest crush or like your first love, and it's why why would you restrict yourself like what are, you, are these are teens supposed to be like too cool to be really excited about f- dating someone? Um, I think that actually like bleeds over into like the whole of this movie where everyone's really direct about how they feel a lot of the time because it's a life or death situation. so it's like fuck it I don't have time for feelings but also I'm not really good at masking my feelings because I'm a teenager.
3: Yeah the <laughs> I, I think of the moments especially again, The moment that wrecked me actually the most, and it's the father, like like when Anna's father dies, I can't Mm -hmm. hold together. That's the one that kills me every time. And I know we have other deaths up to that point that are equally as effective, Um, but there is just something about the, just the send off that he gives her and like how sweet that song is. And it's just, everything builds on top of one another. And I could just feel like every time, like, I'm not going to cry. This is, no, I'm going to make it through this time. And like, (laughs) just watch it again and just sit in there, like in my living room, tearing up again. You okay, Matt? Like, yeah, just watching anti Apocalypse and her dad just died. Like, no, yeah, that's that's where we're <laughs> at again.
0: <laughs> I have such a weird relationship with, like, father-daughter scenes in teen movies because as, as is the gospel of the show, we love a father-daughter speech in a teen movie because there are so many great ones. And this is definitely a great one because it's a whole song. And I, like, refuse to let myself emotionally go there because... I have a very close relationship with my dad and my dad and I are the same person. So when the day comes that my dad does pass away, like part of me will die with him because I am so much like him. And so whenever I watch that scene, I actively feel myself disassociate because I cannot let myself go there (laughs) because it'll be too much. Because you're right. Like that scene is so heartbreaking Um, because I think to some extent, like we... I don't want to speak universally. I know plenty of people, um, maybe someone who co-hosts this podcast. Um, Hey. Many people give a lot of shits about what their parents think about them or how they feel about them or how they look towards them. And so that scene like really resonates with me as somebody who has a lot of stock in my relationship with my parents. Um, So yeah, like I'm thinking about it right now and I'm like, I don't want to analyze that too deep because- That'll unlock some feelings that I'm not ready to unlock. Yeah, no. It's
3: it's just the thing I watch, and I can understand exactly why I'm having that emotional response. And it's the thing, like you just said, like, out of sight, out of mind. No, we're done with this. I'm not yep. digging deeper into this. I know <laughs> it'll wreck me. And, yeah. And, you know, I have a great relationship with both of my parents. I'm lucky enough, too. Um, and just like you were saying, BJ, like, that thing of just the support they've shown me and everything that, like, me and my dad couldn't be more opposite, actually. Like, we are completely opposite, uh, but not in a bad way. Like, in a very much, you know, he was raised... Hard nosed, uh, he was, you know, he was a detective and all these other things. And I did not go that route. (laughs) I went a very different route. Um, I am (laughs) who you hear right now, the bubbly little whatever you want to call me. Um, But yeah, it's that scene wrecks me. But then there are so many other emotional scenes that are, I think they're elevated every time by the song that is happening. You just look down that entire soundtrack, and I I, there's not a miss for me. Every every song on the soundtrack that is being performed. I I don't think I've ever seen a horror musical that gets so many highs. Like usually it's a, it's mm-hmm. a it's a mixed bag. To me like it's like a horror anthology where you watch a horror anthology and you're probably going to get like a 50-50 turnout of good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um the, the same way that like you watch a horror musical. And the songs, you're probably going to get like 50-50, 75-25 if you're lucky, but Anna just goes. It just goes the entire time and there's like not that downbeat. You don't have that moment where I think people do look towards uh I guess the, the headmaster's one, or you know, the the principal's one uh, song at the end. People point to is like the low point, but that not even for me. I, I love every song equally, and I, I just every time I watch it, I'm blown away by like how that whole set list comes together. Ooh-oh.
2: Ooh-oh. No such thing as a Hollywood. Was I thinking this is Disney, I'm way off script and losing the plot Things don't work out that way, I'm not McConaughey Turning the charm on calling the shots If this was a movie, maybe she would be willing to share my world I'm starting to realise sometimes the nice guys don't always get the girl Cause no one ever tells you when you're young Love's not like the books, the films or the song.
1: I actually asked BJ when we were watching it this most recent time, because I think I've seen this movie like three times now. Um, I think I've seen it like every year for Christmas since I watched it the first time. But uh, I asked her like, BJ, is there a name in like musical theater for the specific genre that we're seeing over like the last 10-ish years of most of the music for a musical being performed by a very small band, like a, like a four-piece band? Because um, that's like becoming a very prominent trend, particularly for, like, off-Broadway stuff. And she goes, no, it's not, but there is a reason for why that's becoming a thing, and BJ knows a lot about musicals, and it's better for her to explain it than me.
0: Yeah. So, here's the thing. There probably is, like, an actual phrase for, like, small piece bands um, for musicals. But what started happening is, like, musicals, Broadway, stage productions, um, the reason that you keep seeing, like, Legally Blonde the musical, or... Some other movie, the musical. Uh, Waitress. Yeah, now everything's becoming a musical. And they're they're going after that big IP, is because Broadway is also like struggling. Like a lot of the original work that gets put on stage doesn't last very long. People are not paying to see it. So, people aren't
1: showing up for Sondheim like they used to.
0: No, and it's fucking killing me because he's a genius. Um, But, (laughs) I mean, was a genius, still is a genius. R.I.P. Sondheim, you're the best. Um, But they're able to recoup a lot of their funds and the investments they put into making their shows with national tours and uh, being able to release the rights for educational, regional, community productions to put on the show because they get money every time somebody does one of their shows. So what happens is a lot of... Musicals, like newer musicals that you see, uh, they will have the music written in a way that could be performed with a small band if necessary, or it can be expanded upon and you can have like as big of band as you absolutely need because it's a lot harder for people to put on a production of something like i don't know Fiddler on the Roof which re- requires a lot of musicality like that's a hard show to play you need some motherfucking woodwind players and if you don't have access to that then you then can't put on that show so a lot of musicals are now written in a way where you can get away with performing it with like a pretty small band or you can expand it. And I think one of a, the really good examples of this in, in this movie in particular is a uh, Nick song, Soldier at War. Like y- listening to Soldier at War, you can hear like just in your bones, there's a bigger version of this to be made. Like there's a version mm-hmm. of this song that is like balls to the wall, like belt your face off rum tum tugger and cat style huge number Mm -hmm. and it's very restrained because that's what was like really big in this part of the 2010s was that sort of music and i like i like that i i think that it it grounds it in a way where it feels authentic to the world that we're in but if somebody ever did a stage production of this like i would absolutely assume that that song would be larger than fucking life
3: well, I've always wanted like one of my favorite like rock bands to cover it too. Like, th- like these songs sound so prime for that kind of treatment as well. Like, in "Soldier at War" specifically, um, and actually, I do. I am curious because when I walked out the first time of uh, seeing uh, Anna the Apocalypse" at Fantastic Fest, I was already like "Soldier at War" is my favorite song, and everyone's like, "You're crazy. It's not it." But I love how people are coming around on that song, particularly because, like, all right, low key, I think "Soldier at War" is the underdog song of the entire, you know, movie stuff like that. Oh, I
0: think so too. Yeah,
3: I I could see that. Yeah. So what what are your favorites though? What's what's the consensus of favorite song amongst us? Oh God, I don't know. I'd have to look at the track listing. Bj, My- <laughs> answer while I do that.
0: Mine is it's that time of year. Nice. Um, I think it is a perfect uh like Christmas raunchy song. I love raunchy Christmas songs. Um, it's. It's perfect. Like the fact that there is not a drag queen or a burlesque performer like doing a routine to this song every holiday, like is is a crime. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Like it okay. is it is that's the, so that's the one primed for it.
1: That's the one where she's walking around and it looks like the intro to both Dawn of the Dead remake and Zombieland remake, but like no, as a comedy so musical. So that's turning my
3: life around. Which one's that? It's that. It's that time okay. of year.
1: Is uh, the Marley? That's th-
0: the slutty, Santa, the slutty so- Santa song. Oh yeah. Okay. No, that
1: is, that is lovely. I feel like you could pluck that one out of this movie and put it somewhere else, yeah. and it fits the most organically. I think this movie shines the most in like the scene I was talking about, like as a musical. I'm like, I think that yeah. like everything comes together in the most large and fancy and like flourishing musical theater kind of way for that song for me i think
0: i think also, you also I don't really like liked...
1: i don't dislike the villain song yeah. i think it's fine
0: yeah okay so because you brought that up matt and you were like people think that's the low point i don't think it's the low point at all because it is a very good character villain song yeah. and like mm-hmm. that's the point is he's a character and he's a villain um but something i like about... a character singer I love character singers. They're my favorite kind. Um, but something that I wanted to bring out specifically about the music is that I am a connoisseur of horror musicals. I love horror musicals. In a majority of instances of horror musicals, not everyone can sing. Everyone can sing in Anna and the Apocalypse.
3: Crushed. It, every crushed. Sing- that was going to bring <laughs> oh that bad. up, too. Like, that they can sing. And again, like you have Sarah Swire, um, who is one of the characters, actually doing the choreography as well. So it's like you have performers who can sing, do the choreography, like they can do everything. It's one of those like communal kind of productions where everyone on camera is also helping behind camera and like bringing the best out of each other and you just feel that in every scene but like I I think also human voice is one too that people were kind of like iffy on and I I love human voice as well like I think it's one of actually the most like emotional songs in the entire thing. But, uh, yeah, Turning My Life Around, too, that, that choreography as she's dancing around, like, babies getting smashed and people getting eaten is just, it's mm-hmm. next level good. And that is that is why, like I said before, like, I can't believe how just steady ending the apocalypse is from song to song. Like, everything works so well. All the choreography is perfect. Like, I, I just, I don't see this that often because, BJ, like, as you just said, like, I, I like, I, I think you like our musicals even a bit more than I do, but I'm pretty high up there, and I can't think of many that are on par with Anna in terms of, like, song quality.
0: It, like, Phantom of the Paradise is, like, yeah. probably the, cl- like, I mean, oh, it's it- a perfect film. No skips. Excuse skip. me,
3: you're just
1: gonna pave over Little Shop like that?
0: I'm getting there, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so, was like Phantom of the Paradise is probably the closest to how Anna feels to me yeah. in terms of like there are so many songs that are meant to just highlight one person because like little shop like that is a very traditional like that is a musical um Mm -hmm. whereas like phantom of the paradise falls under the same kind of weird umbrella as something like anna the apocalypse where there i think there are a lot of songs and anna the apocalypse that uh can get plucked out and go elsewhere the same way that phantom of the paradise can whereas so much of little shop like that is little shop it can only Mm -hmm. exist in the world of little shop um so that's where my comparison was going before i was so (laughs) rudely interrupted (laughs)
1: You're welcome. I just, <laughs> pardon me for wanting to immediately talk about Little Shop at any given opportunity because it's a goddamn perfect movie.
0: <laughs> it really is. Um, but th- I think that Anna and Phantom have those things in common in the sense that there are also so many songs that are just explosions of the emotions that they're feeling. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's metaphorical, sometimes it's literal, um, but this movie is crafted so well and i'm glad you brought up the choreography because i think that the best example of it is anna's high kick in the cemetery yes. yeah. like because one it is such like a don't forget this is like a musical and we are acknowledging and embracing that it is a musical mm-hmm. they're like they're not trying to be cute about it um, like it there's a fucking high kick in a cemetery. like we're we're in weirdo land now. And that is something that I appreciate because I think that even like, contemporary musicals that we do now that get turned into movie musicals like they're so afraid to lean into the fact that it's a fucking musical and it's just like no we're being really serious there just happens to be songs Mm -hmm. and any apocalypse embraces the hell out of it i mean the entire showdown in the bowling alley like is so like the fight choreography is so tight and it's also so fun to look at because you've got a ball pit like you've got so much weird shit going on that it becomes spectacle like a musical and it's just it's so fun like this is such a serious movie but they made sure to like never let you forget like it's okay to have fun with this
3: um, I'm actually glad you brought up the bowling scene because not only does it not let you forget like it's a musical, it doesn't let you forget it's an emotional film, but Anna doesn't let you forget it's a horror movie too and uh, it was referenced before how many subgenres are smashed together to make ending the Apocalypse And in that bowling scene alone, you have the ball pit, you have the choreography, you have like the music in the background that is basically like a Christmas carol that becomes this like weird distorted techno kind of backdrop. and then you get like the gore of like the de- decapitated head coming back in the ball return. And I think that like that is what is also important that like everyone making any apocalypse is so aware of all the things it is. And they don't want to let you Mm -hmm. really like forget any part of that. So as much as we can talk about the choreography and the songs and we have, and you know, it is a musical, it's still like a super gory zombie film too, because like the the deaths aren't just like one off off camera, any kind of like brush under the rug stuff. One of the first bits of gore we get, is Anna literally decapitating a mascot zombie snowman and the head just flies off and blood spurts like a geyser. And it's like, cool, you really went 100% in every element. Like, you, you didn't let anything lack. And uh-huh. I think a horror comedy, you know, I, I, I love horror comedies, but I also understand that there are a lot of horror comedies that are out of balance. Some are too comic, some aren't, you know, comical at all. Anna just nails everything so perfectly where you get the dark, you get the, the bright and light – but it never lets go of the horror, like, roots that are, like, so prevalent.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and this feels very much like the Sam Raimi school of horror comedy. Like, that's where it, like, the lifeblood of this comes from, I think. And I think it's because the gore and, like, the brutality of it, it, it isn't, like, so over the top that it becomes, like, pure camp, but it is just over the top enough that it's not uncomfortable yeah. if that makes sense um so I, I think you're right in like finding a balance like they even found a way to make the gore be like whoa that's extreme because yeah when she decapitates the the snowman mascot it's like oh that's what movie we're in okay and the, like i think it to me it has the same feeling of that scene in Shaun of the dead when mary gets impaled right. um and you're just like oh they went there with this okay got it because you you need that primer and that's what happens when she decapitates him um and then you know we we see that throughout where like you know we (laughs) like poor john i love him dearly but like he gets like brutalized he's getting pulled into pieces and it's hard (laughs) like it sucks
1: and everybody wants their uh their dawn of the dead rip the guts out scene huh yep
0: That'd be uh, Day of the Dead. Let me push my glasses up a little bit for me.
1: Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. All the same. Everybody likes that one Look, zombie kill.
0: I'm preventing you from Reply Guys being in your shit because, you know, Reply Guys listen to a teen, mo- teen girl movie podcast.
1: Of course.
2: They hate
3: listen. Thanks for giving us those clicks, gents.
2: But yeah, like, you, you need
3: that darkness, though, and you need that darkness because if it wasn't there then I think you might lose some of the, you know, hardcore horror fans who wouldn't watch Anna the other way, you know? And that darkness isn't just like for show though. That That's what makes it more than that. I think some horror movies do do the gore for show and it's just there to be like a visual spectacle. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything. What BJ just said about like how we watch die, uh, John die terribly. We watch these characters like die terribly and it, once again, just elevates the emotional tragedy that we're watching. And it's not about the kill at that point. Like, you, you, you're you not watching any Apocalypse and going, like, oh, yeah, gnarly kill, bro. Like, you're watching that going, like, holy fuck, John's death is, like, torturing me. Like, this is so... It's just so good at that. And, you know, I, I, again, it's just... Movies that just don't get that right so often.
1: Well, it's and also it- sooner than you think it's going to be in this movie. Like, you don't expect for it to come up when it does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of the dust that kind of pop up in here, like it, it doesn't feel very predictable. Like the, for a movie that plays so much with like formula and trope, it never feels like it falls into those traps, which I really, really enjoy. Um, and going into like the darkness of the horror, I think that showing that darkness, I think legitimizes all of their feelings in a way that a lot of teen movies can't do because Teen emotions are melodramatic out of context. Like it, When you hear a 15-year-old say, my first boyfriend broke up with me, I'm going to die. Right. You're like, that's melodramatic, grow up, you'll be fine. But when you're 15 years old, it really does feel like that. It feels that bad. So if you don't have like that intensity of what they're going through and how brutal this actually is... Then any of their reactions would come off as melodrama. People would immediately check out and just think they're being overdramatic teenagers. Oh, it's not that bad. But when you are getting like the visual manifestation of no, it's that fucking bad, then people take it serious, and it's like a very weird way, but it's like zombie movie as form of like <laughs> legitimizing teenage angst <laughs> like <laughs> i i don't know I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like. People take their feelings seriously because they can see the terrible carnage that's before them. When in other movies, when there is no zombie, their feelings get dismissed. But those feelings are just as serious. And I don't know, like, it's great. Like, you tricked people into empathizing with teenagers. And it's fantastic.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and and it's just so important. Because, again, that message of, you know, (laughs) life's going to beat the shit out of you. Like, you know, it might not eat you like a zombie. But life is hard, and life is all of these things that the Hollywood version doesn't show us ever, you know? It's just, Anna is just so, I guess the word to say is just kind of, like, respectable about the way that, like, how life is, and it shows it for how it is. And I don't know, it's just a really fresh breath of air versus, you know, what we're used to seeing in that way.
2: All of a sudden, the blood. about all the days that I just let go if I had reckoned the seconds would slip from me I'd have paid twice of the price for the memory for the memory To shine. Oh, where is the life That once was mine But while there's hope while I still breathe I will believe
0: And I, I like what you said about like. It's it's not what Hollywood lets us see because obviously no. the song you know no such thing as a Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood ending. ending like they they mm-hmm. just here you go message silver platter uh, but that's how musicals work and I I don't doesn't bother me any but even in the, like the genre space of teen movies in specifically that realm a lot of times movies that are like hey kid life is hard. Uh, those movies tend to be about like one singular person that's being bullied or one singular person that's having a hard time. And in the Apocalypse is a movie that says it's going to be hard for all of you. It's just going to be hard in different ways. And I think that is a really, really important message for people to, to hear and understand because we do have all of these different characters that are interacting with each other and we do have them coming from very different places in their lives. They're coming from different backgrounds, uh, different social status, and... They're all getting the shit kicked out of them by life and they're all coping with it in different ways. They're all enduring it in different ways. Some of them are experiencing more tragedy than others. And that is such a like light bulb moment, I think, of good teen storytelling. Like this is a great coming of age movie for that reason. And it's it's it just does everything right for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you want to think about it with like the best example of Nick, which is that. When we first meet him post-zombie outbreak, he's just going around being like, I'm going to beat up zombies. It's fun. We're having a great time. And then you find out later, like, oh, he's coping and just kind of taking out his aggression because he had to murder his own
3: dad. Yeah, rough. it's it's rough and it's in your face. And I, I think Ben Wiggins does a great job delivering that, like, monologue, too. And the way that, like, you know, Anna and Nick look at each other in that moment and the barrier breaks a little bit, you know, like the stereotypes are now gone and we actually see them as real people. And I think that also Mm -hmm. leads a little bit into the fact that like you can listen to any one of these songs at any point in your life and have a different reaction. I think a friend of all of us, Meredith borders tweeted recently and was like, you know, I, she did her yearly rewatch of Anna, the apocalypse. And and she went underwent some life changes recently. And, you know, one song that maybe didn't mean as much to her at the time, I forget if it was like turning, uh, turning my life around or break away. But like, you know, she kind of said like, this song had so much more meaning now of of everything that's happened recently, and I kind of had that too. Rewatching it this time in like a very vaguely personal way, but like I don't know, like this year was kind of weird in some ways, and like I I listened to Turning My Life Around and like how I kind of want to uh, like embrace 2023, and all of a sudden like that song hit me way harder than it ever did because like I needed that song now, and I think that just like is such a testament to like breakaway Hollywood ending like whatever you're kind of going through at whatever point in your life. Like, there's an Anna song for it. (laughs) Like, there's always an Anna song for it.
0: (laughs) And that, to me, is just, like, that's a testament to a good fucking musical. And I, obviously, I'm not going to say that, like, this is on the same level as Sondheim by any stretch of the imagination, because that's its own category. But that's what always made Sondheim such a fantastic composer to me, is because he would write songs that I would feel entirely differently about depending on where I was at in my life. And you're right. I think the music in Anna, the apocalypse does the same thing because there are some parts of it where it's like, Oh, this is the song I needed when I was 15. Like this is the, the hell yeah anthem I needed, but you're right. Like turning my life around, like does feel some kind of way uh, given the last couple of years. And I don't think that I had the emotional maturity for it, you know, even four years ago. Um, and, now it does mean something, like, very personal. And that's good songwriting. That's real good songwriting.
3: Yeah. When I listened to Breakaway, like, the first time in Los Angeles after I moved from the East Coast to LA on my own, like, I, I just had, like, full, like, chills and, like, tears. And I was like, holy shit. Like, it just hit me out of nowhere, like, having that watch over. But again, <laughs> that was because of a giant life change. Like, things – obviously, the first time I saw it, I didn't have the same reaction. So, I yeah, I just – it's the honesty of this entire movie, and that's what like I think that is the enduring thing at the end of it. We keep talking about how it, you know, ending apocalypse shows life for what it is, and it's messy and it lets characters be characters, not stereotypes, but it's also just honest about all of it. Like, there's no sense that it's trying to be facetious or trying to like show you something just to be like, hey, we got your butt in the seat and we're gonna kind of just give you the Hollywood ending of it all. Like, nah, mm-hmm. this is just a really raw, honest, open film, and that is also why it's going to endure like other films just will fall away because there's Mm -hmm. movies for entertainment and there's movies that actually let let you like learn about yourself, you know, like embrace a little bit of yourself that you didn't know. And Anna does that like so deeply.
0: Definitely. And one other thing that I wanted to bring up before we start kind of wrapping things is that Anna the Apocalypse takes place in a town called Little Haven. And I have always found that to be such a brilliant name for this town for the story that is being told because the movie ends with them getting in a car and driving away looking you know hopefully to find help find safety find anything but they're leaving their little haven behind and I think that is such a perfect metaphor for what life is like when you do have to grow up Um, whether it's leaving your hometown or even just like leaving the structural kind of comfort of things like high school where like you're an adult now and you're making your own decisions, you are leaving a haven behind. Like, even if it's imperfect, like there is something to that. And like, that's such a scary thought because that's what it feels like when you step out on your own is that you are one, free, free, and, like, that's exciting. But, two, like, you're leaving that behind. And who knows what lies ahead? Who knows what safety lies ahead? Will you find it? Who knows? Like, you you may have an idea. You may think that things are going to be a certain way. But you have no fucking clue. And you're, you've left it. Like, that haven is gone now. And that is so scary <laughs> and, like, existential. And at the same time, like, it is beautiful because, like, they got out. Like, they did get out. And they... In my in my heart of hearts, they have found something bigger and better and safer for them.
3: Yeah, there's nothing like the reminder of coming like home for the holidays or something and going to a local bar and seeing the people who didn't and you know just having kind of having that little. There's there's no judgment. There's none of that. Like everyone goes about life their own way and they find their own paths. And you know, I just consider myself lucky enough to have had a wonderful place where I grew up and also had a wonderful place that I didn't want to be in anymore. And that's always the fun conversation mm-hmm. with like some of my friends who were very much, Oh, like, you know, when are you going to come back? When are you going to move back to town? And I'm like, never like, I, unless my life changes drastically and I have children that I want to raise somewhere in a safe little suburb, then I'll be back. But I'm like, no, like, I don't know. Like having that little haven was great for growing up for great for everything that it gave me and like how I, learned about myself in those years but not nah, like that breakaway moment was so just crucial and yeah like see like you, the way you just put that I didn't even like click onto that yet so like, the way you just put that like just <laughs> unlocked a whole other aspect about this film and me as well
0: <laughs> yeah I have um I think as any creative person ever does I have a very complicated relationship with my hometown and there are some parts of me that feel such a sense of, like, comfort about it, but then, like, the logistic side of my brain kicks in and it's like, nah, this place blows. Um, and I think that that's also an important thing for people to see is that, like, it's okay to have a complicated relationship with where you grew up. and uh in a weird way like obviously that's not like the central conceit of this by any stretch of the imagination but like getting to see them leave like that they're they're not trapped there but they're also not choosing to be there either and i think that that's that's important. And, you know, like you said, like no judgment to anybody who does stay. I have plenty of people that have stayed where I grew up and they're lovely and absolutely thriving and living their best life. That just was not for me. Like I could not, I would have become a zombie if I stayed there. I would not be doing what I'm doing. Um, and I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I got in the car and left because, again, I'm Steph. <laughs> All righty. Well, the time has come. Harmony. Anne in the Apocalypse is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Are you giving her tickets so she can go on her own?
1: I'm I'm in a complicated place of feelings for this one, where I'm judging this movie in, in sort of two different aspects. Um, as a Christmas horror film, it's so much better than most of the schlock that exists at that intersection of Christmas and horror. Like, most of it is so bad. Um, as a horror musical, it's so much better than most of the ones that exist out there. Uh as a teen film, like a teen girl film, it's so much darker um and, and, and has so much more respect for growing up and feelings and bleakness and the harsh realities of life than most of them do. But also I'm like, God, I just wish this movie was like 10% better. <laughs> i wish Anne and in the apocalypse i wish the music was punched up just a little bit more i wish there were just a little tweak here and there and i would like the, i like it because it's a good movie i want it to, i'm frustrated because i want it to be a great movie and it's so close um and like we talked about how the songs hit us at different times and i watch it every year and i'm like one year this is gonna hit me right in the feels but maybe i hate christmas too much and it hasn't done it yet.
0: <laughs> well, you hate christmas ha- and you hate your family. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Not really a front thing. So it's for like you. No, like it's it's difficult for me on like a deep emotional level to connect in the same way where it's like, "Oh no, dad died." He was in about four minutes of screen time. I'm sorry, dad. <laughs> um, so like I'm approaching it kind of clinically, unfortunately, but like one day I want it to click better, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to say maybe I will take this as a maybe, but I encourage everyone else to watch it.
3: I'm actually curious. It's- Cause it, there was, I believe a longer cut that we saw at fantastic fest. So I, I believe the first cut I saw had a little bit more heft to it. And I'm curious if that might've, I don't know, like given you a little more that you're looking for. I would like that. Like, there's these little moments that I wish
1: fine-tuned. Like, like okay, here, here's a really good example. Um, During the final number where she's showing down, where she has her showdown with, like, the principal headmaster guy, and she's, like, all the world's a stage, and she's doing all these moves. If, like, earlier in the script it had been like, oh, I wanted to be in the show, but you didn't let me, but now I'm proving you wrong. It's like, that little change I would have been like, oh, that would have hit me so much harder if that was just a little different. I'm trying to think. I
0: mean... That sounds like a you problem. I know. It's these (laughs) things where I'm like, the
1: movie's good. I just want it to be just that, that little eensy bit for me. So I'm being selfish. I get it. I'm not. I'm fully encouraged. I fully say that, like, I, I know that I am being selfish in these little tweaks. You're being a Grinch. But a I think Grinch. everyone else should watch it. Oh, I'm absolutely a Grinch.
0: Whenever we end up doing our next, like, tier list of all of the movies that we've covered, that will be really fun when we look at how your list differs from mine. <laughs> because <laughs> she'll be in a different tier for, for me than she will be for you. But I think that that is more than acceptable. I will take the maybe. But more importantly, thank you, Matt, for being here with us and sharing your love of Anne in the Apocalypse. Where can people find you on the Internet if you want them to find you?
3: You can find me, Matt Donato, at Donato Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, and Hive. And you can also follow Certified Forgotten the podcast at Certified Forgotten on Twitter for as long as that's still a thing. Or you can just find us <laughs> on our Patreon, where we take all of your money and give it right back to the writers. That is our promise. We are 100% uh, just hiring writers and paying them with the Patreon. We don't see any of that money. It's a great business model. We love it.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> we, we've both written for you a few times, and it's always Indeed? been great. Wonderful yeah, it's articles.
0: it's fun. Yeah, for those that don't know, uh, what is kind of the mm-hmm. the ethos of Certified Forgotten?
3: Certified Forgotten started as a podcast between me and Matt Monagle, an Austin-based film critic, and we just kind of had the little thought of like, hey, what happens to all those movies that play film festivals and get some rave reviews and people love them and then they just disappear? We should just make a podcast that talks about those. Uh, so yeah, we started the podcast just every episode. A guest brings us their favorite horror movie with 10 or less critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. We talk about it. We let them champion it. We have a similar discussion as to kind of like what we did today. And then we, we just kind of spun it into a site during the lockdown. You know, we had we had some time. We had some extra cash. And we are like, I don't know. What do you want to do? You want to start paying younger writers and give them an outlet to kind of like, you know, get into the industry on, I guess to say. Like, not like getting a certified forgotten byline gets you in Fangoria or anything. But like, I don't know. <laughs> we just wanted to open something that gave other people opportunities that they might not be getting already.
0: And I think that is beautiful. Thank you're you. champion films that people aren't talking about, and writers who need some sort of way to get their feet wet. Absolutely. You're doing you're doing good work. You and the you and you and Monagle,
3: and you can make seventy five bucks. Why not? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I believe, like I'd have to double check my numbers. I think the last thing I wrote before I had the Fangoria cover story was for your site. So then there is <laughs> so, a direct correlation it there. It did no. go to Fangoria.
3: <laughs> the certified forgotten
1: to Fangoria pipeline isn't in, isn't in action. <laughs> yes. It's not impossible. I'm just going to say it's probably unlikely, but not impossible.
0: <laughs> oh, Amazing. Well, yes, thank you so much for joining us again. As always, you can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at VelociTrappter, Veloci underscore trap underscore tour.
0: And as always, humongous thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week, inspired by Anne and the Apocalypse?
1: I had a few options for this one, but I decided to go with someone who was Scottish because Scottish seemed more appropriate. For, like, you know, we're going in the UK. This seems this seems like the right move. So I'm shouting out the singer-songwrecker of The Narcissist Cookbook, which it's a marvelous name. It's a fantastic name. Uh, and specifically name. <laughs> the album, uh, This Is How We Get Better, because it's all about like, life is hard and depression's hard. And we're going to really try to pull ourselves out. It's almost like the singer having conversations with themselves about getting their ass out of bed and taking a shower and trying to like get their life together, not because it'll make them feel better, but because not doing it will make everything significantly worse. And it's every, every song is kind of like speak singing. Uh, it's almost like poetry over like guitar and mouth sounds in a way that like blends genres that I think is very exciting. It almost feels sometimes like uh like musical theater, but also like, a mid a midwest emo intro where it's just like a movie clip or like a large monologue over music but for like four minutes sometimes and if that's <laughs> your jam like it is mine and it's very theatrical then i fully recommend this
0: incredible so that is the narcissist cookbook all righty friends thank you for listening we will see you next week and as always save that last dance for us bye bye
2: And kill. Zombie Miley, Zombie Rihanna, Zombie Beyonce. Kill them all, they're zombies. And play it properly. Mary Beyonce. Why are you killing Rihanna? That's not what I said. This
1: episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.